the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and live action sports writing than The Athletic, covering everything. There's a spot on their website right now for Bucks versus Patriots. That's how much content they've been pouring out on things like that specifically. The Major League Baseball postseason now has its own tab. And of course, every single city, every single sport, and betting and fantasy and the works, a podcast network now. Just everything you need. Personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues. Download the free app. It's all ad-free exclusive content. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Sunday evening just before Brady versus Belichick. I'm not going there. We've been beaten to death with it. I think it's going to be a good game. I think the Buccaneers destroy him. So there's my initial 30 seconds before the game starts <laughs> projection. Here's the plan for today. First segment, I'm going to break down some NFL trade deadline candidates. I realize that sounds ridiculous on October 3rd. It feels like the season just started, but the deadline is November 2nd. It is one month away. And I've got some offensive pieces to discuss here in terms of who could be on the block and who could be traded and what it's going to cost and all that fun stuff. So that's up first. Back end of this show, the Major League Baseball playoffs are set. I've got the 10 teams. I've got some numbers, their payroll ranks, their tax payroll ranks, what it looks like from a run differential standpoint, how their injuries piled up over the season and where that ranks over the 162 and plenty, plenty more thoughts on those teams specifically, the league, the 162 that we just finished, where we might be headed with the CBA and, and good stuff like that. So, all right. I, feel, I know it feels like we just uh, got rolling with this NFL season, but the trade deadline, believe it or not, is less than one month away. November 2nd will be the NFL's trade deadline this year. So it's time. It's time to start digging into this. And look, we're kind of, kind of being forced into this discussion with the rumors, the escalation of Deshaun Watson. So I want to get out in front of this. There's, I don't know, I, I think there's a pretty solid list of players that not too many people could argue with, especially one of the teams that I've focused on specifically. So I'm going to break down basically the 15 players that I've made note of in a piece on .com this morning. And this will certainly change and evolve and ebb and flow over the next few weeks as more rumors come out, as some of the pieces come together in terms of teams and you know, there may be a couple teams that really fall to the bottom. I think Houston's one of them. That is the team I focused on with three players here initially. Excuse me, four players here initially on this first list. But it's a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end discussion exclusively at first. There are some defensive players I have in mind. I'll get to them probably in about two weeks. So I'm going to split this next month in half um, and get kind of the the bigger names out here on the offensive side of the ball first, as many of these guys have been rumored as it is. And let's just start with Deshaun. Everybody knows how this is going to work. I don't know if he sees a single snap in 2021, but he's also not going to play for Houston ever again. That is the only thing that is 100% sure about his career. <laughs> okay. Uh, no idea what the league is going to do if and when. No idea what his legal situation is going to come to if and when. But the fact that he's been the QB3 and a healthy scratch for four, for four weeks now signifies where Houston stands. They are playing ball with his demand to say, I'm done here. Get me out of here. They're listening. There's no question they're listening. And they're just waiting for the right offer and the right situation. Because this can't just be draft picks. It, it can't. 
there has to be something else built into this, whether it's a defensive player, whether it's another quarterback. And that brings me into this discussion here. So let's just say Watson leaves. The dead cap situation for Houston is pretty simple. It's 10 this year. It's 16.2 next year. Significant savings in both cases, as you might imagine. But they lose the quarterback. The new team this year, if they get him at deadline week, and that's how I've structured this article. Uh, the deadline salary that I have there is basically each player is being traded right before that November 2nd deadline. So the week leading up to it. 10 weeks in, 8 weeks to go. That means $5.8 million left of Deshaun Watson's salary, barring the fact that Houston wouldn't retain any of that, and I don't think they would in this case. It's one of the smaller salaries out there on his contract, and there's certainly enough interest, I would think, to make this a pretty clean swap, financially speaking. So that's the that's the nuts and bolts of Deshaun specifically. But I've got two other players in this list that I think go hand-in-hand with that conversation, one of them being Tua Tagovailoa, and the other being Jalen Hurts. So Tugga Viola is going to be the more expensive option here. But Miami's the bigger rumor here. Miami's the one that has, has been rumored to say, all right, we're going to go multiple firsts. If you want Tua, he can be part of this conversation. And they've got other options. You know, when I do my defensive piece, you know, Xavier Howard's going to be on this list. I understand he just restructured. That was a Band-Aid. That was not a that was not a uh, you know arthroscopic surgery on that contract and that relationship. You know, by the way, the Dolphins are bad right now, so teams are going to be looking to pluck any way they can. And if if it means two and two firsts and in two seconds, you know that may be enough for Houston at the end of the day when when it gets down to the deadline. So two is on this list because of that. Jalen Hurts is on this list for a you know a, a less you know impactful same reason I, I it's been rumored there's some rumblings now philly had a pretty good showing today against kansas city but they did end up losing and, and jalen hurts has shown some things he is you know he's a mix between i think tua and kyler murray right now he's somewhere in that in the middle of that whereas tua just hasn't been able to do it because of the injury but we've seen some some flash of it kyler has gradually increased his production, his ability to move, and his ability to read these defenses over the first two seasons to the point of where now I think he's in the MVP conversation. And I don't think that's hyperbole at this point. So Jalen Hurts, I'm not sure it's a slam dunk that they'd move him for Deshaun Watson if that came to fruition. You know, keeping Jalen Hurts on his rookie salary is markedly cheaper, markedly better value, and a way better way to build your team if this guy's an adequate quarterback. I mean, his deadline salary, we're talking $491,000. That's what Houston would be taking on. And that's got to be attractive, by the way, you know, because there's no risk in that. There's barely any guarantees left. There's just no risk. So if you still get three legitimate draft picks, two first and a second, two first, a second and a third, and you get this guy to, to rent for a year and a half or for two years, and maybe you can, maybe he can turn into something for your roster. I think that's got to be part of this conversation. That's why two is here. That's why Jalen Hurts is here. If it's just we're moving on, there's no reason to get rid of these guys. Two is fully guaranteed. So Miami's, you know, eating something to do to do uh, an outright release. The trade's a little different story if they can get out of that. But they're going to be moving, in my opinion, if Deshaun Watson's coming in one way or another. 
So that's three of the quarterbacks on this list. There's two more. One is Garoppolo, and I'm very, very fragile with having him on this list. I understand, you know, Trey Lance is getting more opportunity. He got more opportunity today. There's a bit of an injury for Garoppolo now with a calf. So we may see more Trey Lance. This was the opening that I have him on this piece for. It only takes a little nick, and he's sitting on the sideline. Trey Lance gets a real opportunity, not a wildcat opportunity, not a not a patchwork. We've got a couple of plays this week that are game planned for our opponent. Nope. It looks like he may get a real shot. He threw a deep ball today. He ran a good, I think, believe three drives that looked decent. He can move the ball. And I do think if you give him this opportunity, he should be able to win this job. I think there's a lot of people out there that believe that. So in that case, that still doesn't mean Jimmy Garoppolo's off the 49ers in 2021. To me, that's a huge long shot. There's 13 and change left at the deadline. So Sam Fran's probably retaining some of that, quite a bit of that probably, right? Convert that to signing bonus. You're taking that on just to get him out the door. Maybe you get a third back for him at that point. And maybe that's wishful thinking. But there's four, you know, three week, three game weeks left here before this deadline. Injuries are going to happen. And injuries are going to happen to a contending team or at least a team that's on the, the right side of, of the standings heading towards November. So if it's between... Deshaun, which may be unattainable for some of these contenders, right? Because they're not going to mortgage three three drafts for that player when they're looking for a rental to cover an injury. If it's between Garoppolo, if it's between Foles or anybody else, you know, an injured Tua that they want to take on for the second half of the season, that seems to be ridiculously unlikely. You know, you've got Joe Flacco's a QB3 right now. Gardner Minshew's a QB2 right now. There's some options that you can plug and play with out there among the league. But Nick Foles, Jimmy Garoppolo sit on this list as those vets who, in Foles' case, isn't getting any love. Zero playing time, maybe zero reps in practice for all I know. And now Garoppolo could find himself with a clipboard as well for, for a decent amount of time. So the contenders, the, the, you know, the, the, the first, second, third place teams in their divisions heading towards November, if there's an injury... And their backup is inadequate, right? I don't think Herbert's backup is adequate. I don't think Stafford's backup is adequate. There's some legitimate teams out there that I don't think did enough in that regard. You know, they pinch pennies there to be able to add an extra lineman or to be able, you know to build their secondary more, an extra wide receiver. It happens. I get it. It's part of the process. There's the decisions to be made. But these guys here could benefit from some sort of injury in the next two to three weeks to a decent, decent team. Running backs, much less sexier, <laughs> okay? Uh, Marlon Mack, no, no uh, surprise there. He and his agent have been outward with that, and now Indy has basically complimented that discussion and said, "Yeah, look, we're we get it. You know, we brought him back with expectations. He had expectations, but the Taylor Hines situation is working out well. Carson Wentz is more of a of a pass thrower than we've had over the past couple of years here, so we're going to start to open this thing up. So we don't need really an RB three who's worth more than a mil on our on our salary on our cap." And this guy wants some reps. So teams like San Fran, teams like I think New England, who have a couple of big injuries at this position, and certainly Carolina with McCaffrey going down, even though they they certainly have a Hubbard who can go and get 20 to 25 touches and, and keep them afloat. I'm not sure that team's a contender as it is. So maybe they're not buying at the deadline, but it's low risk for half a year. It's going to be about $555,000 to take him out at the deadline. You know, that's a late round draft pick if you want to bring him on. Somebody's going to do that, in my opinion. The rest, 
it's Houston Texans, and it's almost Houston Texans from the from the whole way out here. David Johnson or Mark Ingram, I think one of those guys has to move. You've also got Lindsey on that roster. Um, they can't move the ball no matter who's running it, no matter who's throwing it, no matter you know what I mean. There's just they're banged up and constructed to the point of where they're just going to be a bad team. Unfortunately, the defense has too many holes, and any of these decent offenses are just going to going to plow through them for the rest of the season. It looks like. So I would imagine one of these veterans who are on, on an expiring contract here find themselves on, you know, a roster or, or even to the streets to allow them to go and pick a roster come November, December, when contenders are looking to add depth, when the running game really starts to kick into place with the weather. Um, but I'll put them as trade candidates for now because, you know, you can get Ingram or Johnson at the deadline for $1.1 million for the rest of the year. That's a little steep probably for some teams, but... It's possible that injuries mean, look, we got to go do something right now. These guys are active in shape. They have something to them. And in Johnson's case, he can catch balls out of the backfield. That may be exclusively what a team brings him in for. So I like the opportunity of those two players to at least get somewhere to another team, whether it's via trade or via street free agent. And then if we switch to wide receivers, I'm going to transition right to Brandon Cooks, who can still play. Brandon Cooks is only 28 years old. Okay. I know he's been on four teams. I know it feels like he's bounced around the world already, but this guy can still play ball and he can help. He can help. And it's not going to look pretty probably over the next four weeks with Davis Mills or whoever's going to take that quarterback, you know, the snaps, possibly Tyrod in a couple of weeks here. But this guy can still do it. And he has gone to contenders before and been the element that pushed that team over. You know, he may be a little bit, you know, past his prime to do something like that and carry a team. But as, an, as a WR2 or a WR3 with, uh, you know, real big upside, I, I love this player going to some sort of team with impact and making an impact himself. Uh, it's $1.1 million for him at the deadline. So you could conceivably take David Johnson and Brandon Cooks off of the Houston Texans at the deadline for 2.2 to your cap and cash. That's pretty doable, you know. And do you package that for a third rounder or a fourth rounder if it means that much to you to get you know, multiple depth weapons onto your roster for six weeks of regular season and then a playoff push. I think that's perfectly plausible for some team that's looking to, to beef up and maybe take that step forward. The rest of the wide receivers, you know, they're question marks all over the place here. Mikhail Harry was supposed to be traded in the preseason. He got hurt. He's about to rejoin the Patriots. I, I don't know. Does he need a showcase? Does he need, you know... There's been some injuries on the offensive side of the ball for New, for New England as it is. Maybe he's got a role carved out there that he just has to earn. I think they've already seen enough of him, if I had to guess. And I don't think any kind of quarterback coming in is going to change that scenario. He, uh, he's he got two years left. Half of next year's salary is guaranteed. So he's a release candidate at some point, too. I know they can just eat the cash over the next year and a half if they really need to. Probably more likely that happens after this season. But... I, I I probably can't I can't imagine I can't see a team taking a flyer on him right now with injury history, drop history, just lack of effort history. It's just been a bad situation for two years, unfortunately. Uh, Denzel Mims, different situation. You know, he did rejoin the Jets. Now he's been a scratch, kind of question mark scratch to the point of where teams have called and basically said, "What's going on with him? You just kind of shelving him? Is is there an issue? Do you need to get him out of there?" He was the number fifty nine overall pick last year. So there's plenty of rookie contract left. It's 476000 to take him on for the rest of this year at the deadline. I got to see where this goes. The Jets had a pretty good showing today offensively. 
you know, against a bad team in Tennessee, but there's a, he was not a, he was not a factor at all. You know, Corey Davis kind of found some legs there. Some of those veterans are getting healthier and that just could mean he gets pushed back out of focus. And if that's the case and he's, they're not even gonna give him a chance. Somebody's going to make this move. Somebody will. And find him in a different, a different uniform, but very, very cheap. It's low risk and shouldn't cost you too much to get him out of town either based on what we've seen. Some of the more, some of the higher paid veterans on this list, Juju Schuster, Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson on the franchise tag. So there's almost 10 million left at the deadline. That may be way too rich for anybody to take on. And I'm not sure Chicago's looking to get rid of everybody yet, but you're not going to tag him again. You know, a second tag is 21 and a half. I can't imagine that happens unless you absolutely have a wink, wink trade situation figured out and you can tag him and then trade him again come in February. Uh, just seems super unlikely. It seems way more likely he walks into free agency, which is probably what he's looking for at this point. But there's a, uh, there's an outside chance that a player this good could be traded with some retained salary and finds himself on a contender for the stretch run. Uh, Smith Schuster is a little bit easier because the way they structured that contract in Pittsburgh was mostly signing bonus base minimum salary. You know, they utilize the void year situation with a lot of those new contracts to be able to spread the cap down the road, which makes them extremely cheap to move. Deadline salary is only $555,000. So you want a 24-year-old wide receiver one at the deadline for five hundred grand? you would probably have to give a decent draft pick in term, even though it's a rental, but you'd have the ability to then bring him on, franchise tag him, and take him from there. It's possible. It's possible. That one, if, if Pittsburgh goes downward here and they lost again today to Green Bay, if that really starts to fall off and, and Ben's situation gets ugly, it may be time to sell off some parts offensively. The defense can still play some ball, but somebody like this on an expiring contract who can really play ball, it would behoove everybody, I think, to move on to a different situation. Um, Allen Robinson, probably not so much, but I think Juju's got a real chance to move. I really do. And I certainly think the same with Brandon Cooks. And then a couple of tight ends to talk about quickly here. I was shocked that Zach Ertz didn't go this offseason. It actually made me think they loved Jalen Hurts. If he's in, right, if he's not, if he's not demanding out, and there was so, it was very quiet around Philly, right? With the, the offense really wasn't a, a focal point this offseason at all. It was very matter of fact. And it really had me kind of thinking in the back of my head, maybe this thing's going to come out guns blazing. Maybe Jalen can really play. Maybe he's the next iteration of Kyler. And we're going to see something at least this first year that's going to make us think he's going to grow into this. Like I said, there's a, there's a version of that. We saw a really good Jalen Hurts today. It just wasn't enough to get close to that Chiefs team. But that's a roster problem. That's not a Jalen Hurts problem. Um, he had a nice performance. And I think Zach Ertz probably saw some of that this offseason to the point of where he was he wanted to stick around to see what it could be for one more year. He, he is under contract next year um, on a void year. So it would be, a, he, he actually, he would be a UFA after the season. So he's basically a rental piece at this point, but there's 8 million left at the deadline. I don't think anybody's taking Zach Hurts on for 8 million. So unless Philly's going to refine that a little bit, um, and if he does, he want out of town, I think those two elements have to come together. There's two rookies though on this list that I really think could move. One for sure should move is Evan Ingram. I think time's up in, in New York. You know, the Daniel Jones situation, the clock is probably ticking on that, but they're not going to be, you know, 
drastically trying to rush that. They're gonna they're gonna push that down. They probably wouldn't even release him next year, right? You just do something else at the quarterback position and slot him down the depth chart because he's cheap now. The signing bonus is paid. You know, it's it's about just a base cheap base salaries for him now. Evan Engram's in his fifth year option right now, so he's headed towards free agency, which is probably fine for everybody involved, but. Is there a team that wants to try to reclimate this thing? Is there a team that wants to take him on? Similar to what we saw with Chris Herndon and the Jets this offseason with the trade to Minnesota. Um, does anybody take him on for $3 million and change at the deadline? Try to drop in in your offense. Make him a red zone option for your team. And then there's a franchise tag available for you next year if you need it. There's options to keep him around you know, a little bit more long term. So it's possible that he goes. I think it's he's probably the one tight end I'd put in that conversation. And OJ Howard's in the exact same financial situation. He's on the same fifth year option. It's the same, same dead cap uh, to stay with Tampa Bay, 3.3 million to go to a new team. The problem is now Gronk is hurt. And that was OJ Howard's role was to be that depth piece for Cameron Brait and Rob Gronkowski. And, and Gronk's going to miss a few weeks here. So OJ Howard, the, the timing of this could be either great for him to stay or great for him as a showcase to leave, right? If it's a three-week absence for Gronk, that le- that takes us right to this deadline. So if, if Howard can step into this role starting tonight against New England and make a name for himself, something he hasn't been able to do on a consistent basis at all in four and a half years, at all. If he can do it, there's a chance that he either moves or sticks long-term here. But if not, I think both these two young tight ends could hit free agency and there'll be some attraction for them because they're athletic. They, you know, they have all the tools. It's just something wasn't working out. And I think maybe in Howard's case, there were just too many miles to feed. I think that's probably one of the one of the issues, at least one of the issues, with his early career to date. But uh, that's the early quick list here I have of offensive weapons and quarterbacks that could be on the block, rumored to be on the block, at least being discussed in many cases from beat reporters, from national people. Um, but I think a lot of it, and, and it's fluid, of course. You know, a lot of things have to happen one way or the other for a stay go. You know, if the Watson stuff really starts to, starts to heat up and it's still Miami, maybe Philly, I guess maybe Denver, but I'm, I'm leaning against that one pretty big right now. And certainly not Carolina. I think, I think Carolina is out on that right now because Sam Darnold has been more than adequate. Um, it's to the point now where they have to start figuring out what else, what else does Sam need. And that starts with filling in some defensive holes and I think filling in a couple of offensive line holes. But there's a, there's a lot of good things to talk about there. That, those were the three teams in on Deshaun at some point this offseason. The Saints were rumored. The 49ers were rumored. The Raiders were rumored. There was plenty of teams at least, uh, you know, uneducatedly being involved in this, right? Whether it's just Twitter getting on Twitter or you know, just people matching the destination to the situation, right? Where could Deshaun Watson improve your a roster? And there were plenty of options for that, of course. But, uh, you know, I trust the, the Jay Glazer with a lot of this stuff. He is, he's not somebody that puts himself out there every single day with discussion, with rumor. It is when he speaks, we should all listen because he's talking to somebody specifically and he's given us the blunt description of what has been said to him, you know, spoken to him. So, uh, you know, he gets it wrong every now and then, but for the most part, he keeps his mouth shut until he has something concrete. And he said it's heat, it's heated up. He's also said the price has dropped. So that leads me to believe that there could be 
two, maybe two good picks, two firsts, maybe a couple of mids and a player and a player. And, you know, Houston has some pieces there, some, not a lot, but I, I don't think it behooves them to take on Jalen Hurts and have a terrible roster. Why would you do that? You know, you have to, unless your, your one plan is to go all the way down to the bottom, take three first round picks and for the next two years draft offensive linemen and a quarterback, which is in my opinion, the best way to do this. That's what Dallas did eventually. San Francisco did. And, uh, you know, not just via the draft, also through free agency and trades, but my point is build the trenches, drop the quarterback in, start to add the weapons around him. That's the order in which I think many of us would agree is best case scenario. Um, Houston's a lot of pieces away from that puzzle coming together. And they kind of had it. When Deshaun was in his prime yesterday, I mean, you know, he's 26. He had two great years leading up to this. So it's weird that they're in this juncture right now where they're going to have to flip this thing over once he does move. But it seems inevitable. Like I said, the Jay Glazer stuff has been pretty specific. And it's leaning to me, me towards these two teams specifically. So I'll tweet this out again in, in the coming days. Like I said, I'll stick with the uh, offensive weapons for now. In about two weeks, I'll dive into some of those defensive players, especially when I kind of see where things are going. Because uh, I do think the Chiefs need something there. You know, if Tennessee is going to compete, I'm not sure they can. They certainly need, need defensive help. I do think the Cowboys could upgrade defensively in a couple of areas. So some of these teams, you know, the Rams defense has not been close to what we want them to be. And uh, I'd say the same about Seattle, same about 49ers. So if some of these teams are really going to compete this year, and that's the decision that we have to try to figure out over the next three weeks, then I could find some of these, you know, non-contenders, a couple of players that we could rip from there and take them up to these contenders for the next, for the stretch run. Remember, longer stretch run this year. It's uh, 17 games, 18 weeks. So there's a lot more time to figure out who you are and more time at the back end to get use out of these rental players. So I think there'll be a little bit more movement because of those two scenarios. I really do. And I, I hope for it. Um, we'll see. I'll stick on this. And any questions, any thoughts, anyone I missed, anyone, any glaring, obvious omissions from this discussion or this article, at Track on Twitter. Always happy to get them. Today's episode is brought to you by Balance Bridge Funding. Providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively. Avoid broker fees with no prepayment penalties if you need to pay it back early. Whether your client is under contract or simply needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking for their next investment, or to look for, to borrow for any other reason, Balanced Bridge Funding is there for you. Visit balancedbridge.com. All right, switching gears to Major League Baseball. The playoffs are set. I'm staring at the playoff bracket with quite a wild card set up here. Of course, Yankees, Red Sox on a Yankees walk-off and a late home run for Boston that puts them into the postseason, knocking out Seattle, knocking out Toronto. Toronto made a hell of a run. And if you're talking just win percentage, Toronto deserved to be in. The Braves are the lowest win percentage to make the postseason this year. The Mariners and Blue Jays, both with a better win percentage than the Braves, who sit just over 500. Teams who were over 500 and didn't make the postseason, Toronto, Seattle, Oakland, Philly, Cincinnati. 
So good years from them, but not good enough divisionally to get it through or wildcard wise. Uh, your bottom three, Arizona, Baltimore, Texas, and then Pittsburgh, all below 400 in terms of win percentage. Not good. Not good. We had, oh my goodness, is it more than half the It's No, it's not more than half the league. Close. It is 15. Sorry. It is exactly <laughs> half the league under 500 this year. So I guess that's what you're going to get you know, in, in most years. But to have four teams under 400 win percentage, uh, that's the competitive imbalance we've talked about. And the CBA discussions will be largely surrounded about. So, you know, uh, a nice finish to this season. We had a lot of riffraff and foreign substances and rule change proposals and whatnot to kind of carry us through the bad weather months. But once June, July hit, it was full speed ahead. And baseball's got to be pretty happy with this postseason, if I had to guess, right? The Cardinals' big big run gets them in against the Dodgers for the wild card. Yankees, Red Sox in any capacity, but certainly in a one-game wild card, yeah, they'll take that. And Chicago's in, LA's in, San Francisco's in, right? Houston's a pretty good-sized city for this uh, situation. It's it's all good news. There's a lot of storylines. You know, your White Sox are your, your kind of your young darlings, are they ready to win Houston Astros 2017 type team? Uh, the Braves are have been knocking on the door now. You know, they're three-time division winners here. They've been knocking on this door. Can they break through in a situation where they'll be playing, you know, the Brewers in that divisional series? The Giants will await the winner of Dodgers Cardinals. The Rays will await the winner of Boston, New York. And we'll have a White Sox Astros divisional series as well. It's good stuff. I mean, it's all the teams you, I, I would expect Major League Baseball would want to be there with the omission of a few. I mean, it, it'd be much better for everybody if the Angels were here. Um, I think the Mets would carry a lot more uh, traction in some markets than some of these teams that snuck in. And San Diego would have been a really good story for a lot of reasons, Tatis being the big one. But the international stuff with Darvish, certainly the way that they built this offseason and pushed in financially, and similar with Toronto and how young they are, but also made a ton of free agent acquisitions. There's a lot of juice there. They bounced around to three homes in 2021. So there's a plenty of narratives and storylines surrounding them as well. And Oakland losing the football team, but you know, having a baseball team that would have had a chance, that would have been a nice storyline. But you know, over 500 again for them. Uh, Billy Bean keeps doing what he's doing with that Moneyball team. But you know, I had a whole show about Tampa Bay and that win percentage versus the payroll, versus the tax stuff, versus where, what they do on an annual basis in terms of roster construction. There's other teams that are going to start to do this, you know, and I hope it's not New York, and I hope it's not LA, and I hope it's not San Francisco. There are markets that can do this and maybe should do this. I'm not going to totally say this is the right approach in, in professional sports right now, but it's a an approach that works for some of these owners who aren't juggernauts and some of these cities that don't bring in the revenue that others do. It's completely understandable, but you have to get, tip your hat or you really have to tip your hat to this. And I got to give credit where it's due with for Houston, who for two years now have been the elephant in the room and all they do is keep winning. And they ran away with their division and, you know, they, they made it pretty easy. They're the number two seed in the American League. You're going to see them with big numbers in a couple of minutes here on some other lists but it's going to be a singular reason. And I'll get to that point. What they did over the 162, 
with a lot of players on one-year contracts. You know, I'm not sure that they can continue to be the Houston Astros now from here out. It's going to take a lot of ball playing on both sides from a negotiation standpoint, from a financial standpoint. I'm not sure they can continue. But where they are right now, where they were four years ago, what happened in between, it's pretty impressive that they've been able to kind of maintain and, and in some cases even get better in some instances. So hats off to them as well. Let's talk about the numbers. Uh, the 10 playoff teams in terms of total payroll. So this is not tax salary. This is not luxury tax in any capacity. This is simply cash signing bonus the works. Um, your top two Dodgers Yankees are in. Both wild cards though. Houston is fourth. They're in. Boston is sixth. So we go one, two, four, six, seven, eight, ten. All right. So plenty of top 10 payrolls sneak into this thing. Chicago was 13th. Milwaukee was 17th. And your Rays were 24th in terms of total payroll. Only a couple of Cinderella's. And, and Milwaukee's been here before. Certainly Tampa has as well. I wouldn't say that anybody snuck up on us this year in terms of the finances. I, I, th I think that's an argument that needs to be made. Tampa, Tampa's there because that's what they do. And they're not fluky anymore. They win with a mid-20s payroll. That's just what they do. And until they stop doing it, I'm gonna, that's going to be <laughs> business as usual for Tampa Bay. Uh, let's talk tax payrolls because you know it's that time of year. The regular season has concluded. According to our numbers, certainly the Dodgers are payers. Boston is very close, according to our numbers, in terms of being payers. It's possible that they've made some moves that I haven't yet accounted for. And I'm going to do my due diligence to try to make sure that I can lock down every single dollar possible over the last six months or so, because it really is a flu very fluid situation. And I try to track it on a daily basis, but I always have to kind of round back and check my work every year and try to get it as close as possible before the reports come out. But according to our numbers, they're slightly over. My guess is they're not. My guess is that something else happened. There was some kind of retained money in a trade or a minor, uh, you know, a buried minor situation where there was some sort of levy built in. Um, I'm going to do some due diligence on that. But they're so close that it has me thinking, all right, I think they may have gotten themselves under. That's just my interpretation of this. But according to Track right now, Dodgers over, Red Sox over, everybody else is under. Houston's barely under. The Yankees got themselves pretty clear uh, with some late moves. But we'll see. We'll see. Look, players have to come off the 60-man you know, the, the IL. There's a lot of movement. So it happens now that things officially shut down for the regular season. So there's a lot. There's still some moving parts that could send Houston and New York over. I don't anticipate it. I think they've done their due diligence with their accounting work. But Dodgers are definitely over. That I can guarantee you <laughs> with my kids. Uh, so in terms of tax payrolls, you've got your top four in. Dodgers, Red Sox, Astros, Yankees. Then we go 9-10 with Cardinals, White Sox. We go 12-15 with Giants, Braves, which means one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the top 15 tax payrolls are in, which leaves us with the Brewers at 20 and those Tampa Bay Rays at 26, which is where they always seem to find themselves. That's almost always the number. It's been 28 before. It was 24 last year, but for the past five, six years, that seems to be the target number right there for some particular reason, 26. 
Uh, it just works for them. 88 million. I have them in terms of tax. <laughs> okay. Versus 253 for the Dodgers. That's the dichotomy. That was last year's World Series. That's what it looks like this year financially. It's crazy. It, it, it's nuts when you start to think about it from that perspective. That one that that the reigning AL champion last year pumped 88 million this year from from a tax perspective, and the World Series nationally champion went 253 and change. It's that different from southeast to northwest right now in this country in terms of Major League Baseball. It's crazy. It's very very different. Um, run differential. I've mentioned this a few times on Twitter and a couple times in the pod as well. I really think it stacks up. It's, unfortunately, it's a lot like the NFL, whereas you can simply outscore people right now, at least for a majority of the season. There is a point in the NFL, you know, where defense and running becomes the focal point, especially when weather is involved. In baseball, that that just becomes the postseason. And I think in hockey too, right? They're two separate seasons. You get this whole marathon where you can just pump home runs out the, out the, over the fence, win a bunch of games, and if you do that consistently enough, you're going to get yourself into the postseason. Well, when it comes down to the post, the, you know, the playoffs, small ball comes back. We see bunting. We see stealing. We see hit and runs. We see a lot more outfield play and outfield assists, and defense becomes a focal point now to these late-inning games. And weather does have something to do with that as things cool off, but it's just funny how that becomes a, a completely separate season to the marathon that we just went through. Um, but like I said, to get us to this point, I think run differential is a huge part of it it's for, for the reasons I just gave you. Dodgers were one, Giants were two, Tampa was three, Houston was four, the Blue Jays who just missed were five, Chicago is six, Atlanta is seven, the Brewers are eight, Boston is nine, Oakland just missed with 10, Yankees 11, Cardinals 12. In other words, <laughs> your 10 postseason teams were comprised of the top 12 run differentials in Major League Baseball. Two of them missed, and it was barely, especially with Toronto. It matters. It's, some, it's a metric we should always watch all year long because teams that start to pull away, the, the bigger you pull away, it just seems the more space you give yourself. Now, I realize the Dodgers, you know, kind of squeaked in here with the wild card, and that's because of their division. They probably had to score 270 runs more than they gave up. That's probably exactly right for them based on the injuries they had and the Trevor Bauer situation and whatnot. But uh, it just seems to be the right kind of metric from a team perspective to be watching kind of kind of weekly is what, what I did to kind of make sure that nobody was taking a huge jump. Look, St. Louis got themselves from way under to, way, to good over here because of that run. It, it's, it's conducive to how the team is playing on a larger stretch. It's more of a trend that isn't, it is a daily stat. So it's clearly, it worked out. Your 10 postseason teams are the top 12 run differentials. Um, and this one's where there's, you gotta be a little bit objective, but the last stat I'm gonna bring into this is the injured list money, formerly the disabled list, uh, injured reserve in some other sports, whatever you wanna call it, they call it the injured list now. So we track this every single day. Every day I update transactions to say who's on, who's off, who's a 10 day or who went to 60. Um, and we're tracking every dollar per day that that player was supposed to make. Did he make it on an active list? Was he on a suspension list? Was he on a, an injured list and so forth? So I, we have now a full, you know, a full record of money team spent on the injured list throughout the 2021 season. The Angels are obviously number one. 
with Mike Trout spending the majority of his time, Anthony Rendon spending a ton of time, uh, plenty of injuries to, to report on that team. And the Mets had plenty of themselves, Syndergaard, DeGrom, plenty to, plenty to go about throughout the year. Uh, that's your top two. Houston is third. And I mentioned in the uh, open of this discussion here that I was going to have to point this out. This is the objectivity we have to talk about because Verlander is the big part of that. Verlander is more than half of the $60 million that was accrued in terms of Houston's injured list season. So you cut that out, you know, that's a pre that's a, that's last year's injury um, for a $33 million salary. You take that away and they're 27 and change. That makes them middle of the pack. That makes them 12th, 13th ish in the league. Uh, so there's certainly some objectivity with that. Now, you know, from the Mets standpoint, that 61 million with DeGrom and Syndergaard factored in is one of the reasons they're not in the postseason. Okay. Uh, so objective, yes, but also how much did it actually affect your roster? So the, you know, the Mets knew Syndergaard was going to be way late in the year. The DeGrom stuff snuck out on them. They were a different team when DeGrom was pitching. They were, you know, 20, they came flying out of the gates. DeGrom was an all world pitcher at that point. Uh, his injury specifically changed the course of their season. Whereas Houston could build around the fact that they weren't going to have Verlander because it was before the season. So two very different scenarios. Washington is fifth on this list, excuse me, fourth on this list. They were dealing with Strasburg injuries all year, you know, and that was a huge factor. So the in-season stuff versus the preseason stuff, that's a big part of this objectivity I'm talking about. So I throw Houston out here as a postseason uh, team with high injured pay because it's, again, I think it's, a, it's an anomaly. The Yankees, however, are fifth on this list. Uh, almost 50 million spent on the injured list. You know, that's Severino, that's Kluber, some Judge, some Stanton. It bounced all over the place. I mean, just this morning, DJ LeMahieu with a sports hernia. He's going to factor in now for the postseason with that injury. Glaber, you can probably put everybody on that list at some point. I mean, the Yankees over the past five years have been such injury riddled. It's, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches is the best way I can say it. But fifth, in terms of IL spending in 2021, they sneak into the postseason. And I mentioned the Dodgers injuries. Dodgers are sixth. If I quickly go through these rankings... This one surprised me because generally speaking, it's the opposite of this. Generally, you have to be healthy for the majority of the 162 to get yourself in good standing. Um, Astros are third. Yankees are fifth. Dodgers are sixth. Giants are seventh. Boston is eighth. And the Cardinals are ninth. Okay? So you've got six top 10 injury payment paychecks for postseason teams. It's a couple things. Um, the older players with higher salaries, more conducive to injuries, did get injured. They did. Okay? Um, a lot of teams are running on youth. So a lot of teams can have a high salary go down and they bring in, but they've already got a $600,000 player or somebody on ARB1 at, you know, one and a half million contributing equal to or the same, you know, essentially a replacement player for that player. It, it's a big, it's a big discussion point in major league baseball right now. You know, why have the $25 million player when the guy making two is 98% of that production. There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. You had expanded rosters at some point. There's a lot more up and down. Um, 
or seeing some of these minor league players come up much, much earlier and then get paid much, much earlier. So there's something to that as well. But this sport specifically, you know, if I run the numbers that I do for football, I know Scott does some of this with basketball and the NBA, everybody's paid there. So those numbers are ridiculous. But this this is sort of new territory for us with Major League Baseball. And I think it's it's a good thing to be carrying into the CBA discussions because if the veterans are more likely to be hurt, if they're easily replaced with youth, cheaper youth, how do we keep money in baseball? And how do we keep long careers in baseball when you can just throw an old veteran onto the injured list, rack up this kind of injured dollars, replace them with near minimum contracts, and, and in some cases, handedly get yourself into the postseason like Houston did. You know, it, it's, it's a credit to the GMs. It's a credit to the offseason moves and some of these in-season moves, certainly the deadline. But it seems like everybody's getting better at this to the point of where now there's a big split in the game, you know, and it's not just the payroll split anymore. It's also the how to handle situations. It's the front office maneuvering. You know, you don't want half your league to be really good at something and half your league to stink at it because then you're just, there's, you're never going to have that parity. We need the Royals in 2015, get into the world series every now and then. And I'm, and in this discussion, I put Tampa Bay as one of the big boys. It's not payroll. I'm talking about here. It's, it's, it's the gamesmanship. How do we maneuver? How do we do it in season? How do we, how do we do it in the winter? Who do we trade for versus who do we acquire? What international players tend to work out? They've got all that figured out and they have for years. Same with Houston. New York's done well with that. The Dodgers have done well with that. And the Giants have done very, very well with that. And Boston kind of swung and missed, to be honest, on that, on that angle. But uh, there's a big change in not just paying for championships anymore, but maneuvering. And I like this part of it, by the way. I'm, this isn't a complaint by me. This is a, this is a very strategic, uh, intelligent approach to Major League Baseball. And you know, you can wrap the analytics conversation into this and to, certainly you have to, you know, research technology, advanced scouting. That's part of the reason we're here. That's why the Dodgers are able to be 25% of the team is extremely high paid. 25% of the team is extremely low paid. And then you've got some middling veterans. They're doing it the, the right way, in my opinion, you know, for a big market versus Boston sort of nickel and dime their free agency. They let Mookie walk or he forced them to walk, whatever the situation was there. And then St. Louis trending in that Dodgers direction, right? Acquiring Aaron, not being afraid of Arenado's salary, overpaying for, for Yadi Molina and Adam Wainwright to keep them around. That's a very LA thing to do right now, what St. Louis is doing, because they do have a lot of youth. There's a lot of near minimums and ARB salaries to go with that. I, I think everybody's just getting a little bit smarter because of where things have come technology-wise, research-wise. You want to talk about shifting and stealing signs and the in-game part of analytics, split that off. Split, I'm, I'm simply getting to roster construction because I look at how these teams finished here from total payroll, cash allocations, certainly the manipulation with the tax payrolls. It's good in some cases that teams were able to stay under, but you know, I'd love to see some of these teams be blowing past like the Dodgers did. I, I hate that it's just one team that felt so confident that they just wanted to push all in. You know, in basketball, we get six, seven, Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Bucks are in Dodgers territory now. Just give me it all. You know, they've got their star. I'd love to see some of these 
you know, upper mid, upper mid markets doing that right now and just pushing, but the game isn't like that. And it's more strategic than that. So how, that's where I'd like to see the transition into the CBA. Okay. How do we keep that? Cause I think it's good. And you, you know, the baseball nerds like myself really dig that side of it because you get a little of everything. You get a bunch of trades, you get a bunch of waiver claims, you get a bunch of international players, and certainly you still build to the draft to some degree, but you know, I don't want super teams. I don't want you just plucking the best free agents off the market and pulling teams off, you know, big players off of Pittsburgh and Baltimore and saying, you got, you can't have those guys anymore. They belong on a real team, which is kind of how it felt for a couple of years. So I want to keep the strategic side of it. I, I like the, the way that we're arranging our teams right now, but the gameplay has got to change. And I want Pittsburgh pushing in. I want Pittsburgh to be able to keep some of their own and feel like they, they have the ability to go and spend more than 63 million on a payroll or 54 this year on a payroll, you know, 200 million less than the Dodgers. That can't be, you know, Cleveland, 48 million. Just can't be. I get it. It's cyclical, but that's it. So I want, I want the wash roster construction stuff to stay. I really, really do. And I love that we have Tampa doing what they're doing. Um, do I think we should have that forever? I don't know. I don't think they can do it forever. So I'm not super worried about that, but you know, it's not an accident that six of the top 10, you know, seven of the top 10 payrolls, cash payrolls are in the postseason right now. It's not. And many of them are done properly in my opinion, according to my, uh, you know, my criteria, I, I really like Chicago and where they sit right now financially, what that roster looks like, how that roster was built. Uh, I think the White Sox really have a chance this and next year as a big, big contender window. But we'll see where this goes. I think it's, we're headed for an ugly winner for a lot of teams and the league as a whole with the CBA. But let's enjoy this. I think Major League Baseball got many of the teams that they wanted, certainly the wild card matchups that, that they wanted with uh, some real discussion points here. Um, I, don't th- I don't think it matters uh, who gets through that first round and gets us into the divisional series because it's good markets, good TV watching markets and uh, good must see baseball, plenty of superstars in this postseason. So good for that. Playoff baseball is here starting tomorrow. And uh, any questions on that, of course, at spot on Twitter, I'll do a little piece on this payroll stuff and we'll certainly track that from, you know, starting pitchers, starting nine, things like that. As we go along into the uh, championship series and the world series as well as we always do. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, Balanced Bridge Funding. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.